Oh, everything is so bad. Yep, it's bad. It's bad, I think. I think it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I've been thinking a lot this week about how I don't have any useful skills and I would die immediately in the apocalypse. In the Mad Max future. Oh, okay. In the so Mad Max future, you would die. In the Mad Max future, I'd probably just die. I probably would also just die. <laughs> it's cool to think about. Yep. All the time. It's good. Is is Boris Johnson the Baron Harkonnen? Discuss. Political commentary. June predicted this. I saw a tweet from Brian Herbert and he was like, My genius father predicted global warming and the Me Too movement. And I was like, Fuck, fuck you, Brian. Fuck off, <laughs> Brian. Brian, you are a worm and not the cool kind. Fuck Brian. Seriously. Brian, you, you like, cheapened the Dune this? franchise for the rest of time. What are you talking about? You should have stopped writing Dunes. <laughs> you should have written something better. Yeah. I think, well, he's doing sound design stuff now that I super don't care about. Okay, um, even the late stage Dunes. Sorry, Brian. Even, <laughs> even Dunes. Anti-Brian podcast. Oh, By the I didn't way. realise we would be taking such a hard line. Yeah, hard... Anti Brian stance. In anyway, um, anyway, June. Should should we introduce ourselves? Oh God, I guess. I'm Ray, the vast. Hmm. I'm Ray, the vice chancellor of the university. I wanted to come up with a cool nickname, but I didn't do that. So I'm here to talk about things and stuff. Who are you? Oh, my pronouns are they them. Who are you? I'm Josie. I am the chancellor of the university. Uh, my pronouns are she/her, and my cool nickname is the woke sleeper. Someone on the June account called the Woke Sleeper. Oh God! Um, what? I... No, I came up with that with my brain. <laughs> <laughs> and we read a chapter today. Well, I read it like last week, and then forgot to read it again. Yeah. But it's I've good. Just, I've just read it just now. Paul turns into a little freak. He's a very freaky boy. Doon 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 doon. <laughs> He's very rude to his mother. He definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> he falls time. The kind of boy you read about. Nineteen sixty four sci-fi epic June. <laughs> that's that's a good joke. It's a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this this chapter we have precociousness mixed with grief. Yeah. All his superpowers are coming in. Yeah. Which is great. Because he's sad. Very, it is very. It actually it made me feel really sad. Yeah, because it is sad. 
and this is terrible. Mm-hmm. And this is <laughs> this is an admission that I should feel bad about, and I do. And you will <laughs> laugh when you hear about it. But this has sort of made me feel the same way I felt about becoming a teenager. <laughs> go on. It's a very teen experience, but please go on. I was just like... Oh, Everyone else is so stupid. I see through all of you. <laughs> I see all past, presents and futures at once. <laughs> Mother. <laughs> Mother. And then also... There was no childhood left in his voice. I was like that. Okay. <laughs> but about myself. I think, yeah, I mean, Frank did very effectively write a fucking teenager. <laughs> I'm now like a, um, idiot again. Thank God. Yeah, so Paul's decided that he's not a child anymore, and he's an adult now, and he only experiences adult clever emotions. Clever adult emotions. Well, his father has just died. Yes, and that is very sad. And he is now the Duke. He is now the Duke. So he can't afford childhood anymore, and it's really sad. Um, Do we want to do the, the quote and then the summary? Yeah, let's do that. Like on a podcast? Which one would you like to do? Like like we do on the podcast? Like on, like, like on a podcast? Like you would on a podcast? Mm-hmm. As if on a podcast. Well, you read the quote last time and it was cool. Um, yeah. And I did the summary and it was bad. The quote is like short and sad and not very interesting. Oh, seas of Caladan. Oh, people of Duke Leto. Citizen. Oh, shit. shit. Can I start again? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was just looking at the M dash at the end of Leto. It really floored me. I was like, who are you, Emily Dickinson? (laughs) Wow. M dash is gauche. Are they bad to use? They're bad to use now. Now that everyone oh, uses okay. them, they're bad. If you're not Emily Dickinson, you're not allowed to use them. Yeah, if you're it? not Emily Dickinson, fuck off with the M dash. Find another kind oh, of okay. dash. Thank you. To revolution. Find another punctuation. Risk. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I read a lot of like when I was on Twitter, the only people I would follow would be like journalists who lived in New York who wrote for niche publications uh-huh. like the Paris Review. Naturally. Naturally, and so I read a lot of opinions on semicolons. M dashes, M dashes, various Chicago manual of style bullshit things. So okay. I I have received received opinions about all of those things, even though oh, I shouldn't, because yeah. it's stupid. Yeah, you ever think about how those things don't actually matter at all? Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Oh seas of Caladan, oh people of Duke Leto, citadel of Leto fallen, fallen, forever. Forever. From Songs of My Deep by the Princess Irulan. Thank you, Princess. Thank you, Princess Irulan. Did she write that, do you think? I guess because it's from it's Songs of Muad'Dib. It's one of the Muad'Dib. Songs of Muad'Dib, so... Yeah. So, did he sing it or did she sing it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what sort of publication Songs of Muad'Dib is. No, no, me neither. I have no idea. Hmm. 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 Are they songs about Muad'Dib written by me, the Princess Irulan, or are they songs of Muad'Dib that he sung? About himself? Huh? Yeah, by himself. Mm, it would be a very Muad'Dib-like move. It would. She'd just be like, ah, oh, seas of Caladan. Yeah. Fallen forever. Fallen. Fallen. Forever. Yeah, maybe. So, I mean, it is very uh, Aeschylus-like. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Citadel okay. of Leto fallen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hella. What do you think it means by being Aeschylus-like? Is it just supposed to be epic? It's supposed to just be epic, and it's supposed to harken back to the um, Greek tragedy stuff on which this whole thing is kind of predicated. The Oresteia, mm-hmm. yeah. the sin of Atreides, it echoes down the generations. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know, I like anything that contains the word citadel. <laughs> just do. Yeah. I like any classical good. invocation that begins with O. Just do. I can't tell you why it's good, it just is. So, so yes, that kind of sets a, a, a tone, a tone of grief and mourning. Yeah. Uh, yes. Wild well, now we are going to fail to experience grief and mourning directly ourselves, but see it in others and think, why can't I mourn? And then at the end of the chapter, do a bit of mourning. Yeah. So I'm going to read the first like line because I think it's really pretty and then I'm going to summarize the chapter. Okay. All felt that all his past, every experience before this night, had become sand curling in an hourglass. I don't know if sand does curl in an hourglass, but I think that's very pretty. <laughs> does it curl? Like it, it tends to just go straight. It doesn't go up again. It no. just goes down. Due to gravity, I think it just goes Due straight to gravity. down. But it's a cool image, so I'll yeah, I mean, give it's it. beautiful. Like, I prefer anything to curl than go in a straight line. Paul and his mum are sitting together in a still tent, and Paul is thinking about what's happened and how he's the Duke now and stuff. And then he's also thinking about how he sees everything a lot more clearly, and he's kind of come into his weird seeing time thinking magical ability thingies. And he's processing everything super quickly and everything is happening in his mind, completely devoid of his like intention and his emotions. And I, he doesn't really like it very much. And for that reason, he's like, why, why is my mother so slow? Why isn't she understanding what's happening? And then he thinks about how he can't mourn and he's sad about that. Like, that's super broken. He's scared by the cold precision of his thoughts. Oh. <gasps> And then he thinks about his terrible purpose. This chapter is a lot of just thinking, so I have to tell you all the things that he thinks about, because that's what the chapter is. It's a, it's a classic, like, Jessica and Paul talk chapter. Yeah, Jessica and Paul talk, and also think in their heads a lot. Yep, it's great. But it is really interesting, and I do really like it. So he remembers the pain, he remembers the Gomtra bar, and then he thinks about being in the Kwisatz Haderach. Then he has a little bit of conversation with his mum where he's really rude to her, and she's a bit freaked out because she's like, what the fuck is happening? And they talk about the atomics and tactics and stuff that I don't care about. Sorry, I'm reading so that I don't mess things out. That's cool. That's how I do all of my summaries. It's just by turning the pages and fixating on what's on the page and going, oh, and then this happens. So Jessica thinks about her daughter. Paul thinks of a plan about aligning with the Fremen and becoming a guerrilla house and works out that the Fremen are paying the guild for privacy, that they have a secret amount of control over the planet that nobody suspects them of having. Jessica says, you're not a mentat, you can't know this for sure. And then Paul is like, no, I'm not a mentat, I'm a freak. <laughs> Which sounds very teenage angsty, but also actually is really sad because he's quote unquote because that's had a rack, but not as they wanted him to be, and he's very resentful of all of the ways that he's been trained to be this thing that he didn't really choose or want to be, and he's angry at the bloodlines that led to him being it, and he's angry at the circumstances that led to people wanting him to be it, and he blames that all on his poor mother who has done nothing but help him, done nothing but be a good mum this She's whole time. A good mom. Teach him all the stuff. She has followed a lot of the stuff that, like, her circumstances have forced her to do. But that's not, like, her individual fault. But he's just being a rude teenager. And he's being very harsh to her. He's not the Kwisatz Haderach. He's a very naughty boy. (laughs) (laughs) So she looks at the sky and she sees the constellation. She's like, ah, it's Muad'Dib, the mouse. And we're like, oh, I understand. Taps head three times. Then there's some sad stuff that sucks. Um... (laughs) 
and crying, crying happens. I think here's the point where he actually sees the golden path and he sees a lot of things about what happens in the rest of the the original book series, but he doesn't understand it yet. Then he says no out loud sometimes, which is like, this chapter does a really interesting blend of like mixing teenageness that's a bit annoying and things that are actually really genuinely yeah sad. i did actually find some of the writing in this bit legitimately yeah. mind-blowingly good i was like oh this but then sad. also paul has a vision of it's himself good. encountering the baron harkonnen and going and i quote hello grandfather <laughs> among yeah, other things that also happened and then he reveals <gasps> He reveals that the Baron Harkonnen is, actually you said this already, is his grandfather. Jessica's his daughter. Oh no. Oh no. So he is the Christophe or rather she thinks that he is, and then Paul is like, I'm not, I'm something else. Don't know what though. You know, after he has this big, big crisis, he thinks, now I can, now I can warn you, and he cries as well. So that was a mess of a summary. Are you alright? I'm good, sorry. I was reading a depressing tweet about climate change. Oh, great. <laughs> it made me sad and scared. But you know what? It's fine. So, impressions of the chapter? Yeah. Well, it was a big one. The first time I read it, I was really affected. And I was like, Paul is being an absolute prick. But also, I was like, really sad for him. And I thought it was really interesting. And then the second time I read it, I was also, you know, I had a quite similar reaction. I wasn't quite so affected, but I was like, this is sad. Mm. Yeah. But I really like, I like the way that it describes the time awareness and that it foreshadows like the events of the next three books. Good for it. I mean, actually, yeah. I did. I did wonder how how much of it uh, Frank had planned out in advance. Because mm. that's what it's hun- it's, it's thousands of pages. I know. So and to not deviate from the plan is like really hard. I know. So, is it a? I mean, probably a lot of the signs that he makes here are like quite flexible. Yeah, and could be interpreted big. in a lot of different ways. But like when he says he's a seed, I was reading some stuff about um Leto the second um about how like by some people he was considered as the true Kwisatz Haderach. You know, Paul saying I'm a seed. Am I given to understand? Sorry, that the Kwisatz Haderach is not. Paul. He arrived one generation early. He's something mm-hmm. that was not in- anticipated by the missionaria because mm-hmm. of the secret inbreeding um, of Jessica. Well, the secret, uh, whatchamacallitness of Jessica, uh, uh-huh. conception of Jessica by the Baron Harkonnen and mysterious. Uh-huh unknown benegesser operative question mark question mark question mark yeah well actually i assumed that that was intentional but it was she was not supposed to have a son so that was the thing that they didn't expect oh okay and they're supposed to kill the baby but and later was the second was the true because that's had a rough but also definitely not what the benegesser wanted at all yeah, there was some really interesting, you know, about the the worry religion and the things that come true that Paul fights against with this whole book and then happen anyway. What did you think of the chapter in general? Mm, I liked it because I think I I think those like the character study chapters where everyone yeah. gets to talk about their feelings are my favorite ones chapters. inevitably. Um, I don't know. I just think Paul's exploration of like an unfamiliar internal landscape. Yeah, that was really interesting. He, he checks done. in with himself and everything's different. Yeah. It's absolutely fascinating and like deeply disturbing. No, that must like completely rock you in a really horrible way. How I would hate it. To, to not recognize yourself. Yeah. To not recognize anything that you're thinking and not have any control over it's it. It's almost like Kafkaesque. 
you know. But instead of being transformed into a gigantic bug, he's transformed <laughs> into a gigantic worm. Oh, yes, um, but like next generation. And I, I like the fact that um, we see his um, abilities of perception overtake Jessica's who seems like slow on the uptake in comparison because she is so formidable in those previous chapters. Yeah, which I guess is supposed to show us how formidable Paul is now, but actually just makes us think that he's a dick. He's just like, so slow. Um, It does remind me of like um Sherlock. BBC Sherlock. Yeah, no, absolutely. Very much so. The way, yeah, 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 yeah. Where he's like, so stupid. <laughs> I, imagining the the mind palace visuals over this whole chapter is very funny. <laughs> oh, no. Don't oh, do no. it. Oh, no. What have we done? This is an understatement of what the chapter is like, but it did sort of remind me of the feeling, you know, when you're like, clever in school and everyone's like you're so smart you're so good do all these things that will make you clever and good and then like a few years later you like look back at yourself and you realize like you notice all of your unhealthy coping mechanisms and all of your neuroses and you're like what the fuck oh, i'm no. a freak Drained from birth to be excellent. Every quote-unquote gifted child has a big breakdown at like age 16. And this is that, but like a hundred times worse. Or is it just equally as bad? (laughs) It might be. Okay, this is like that, but if your dad died and you could see time. And you were a space prince. (laughs) Yeah, the same in every way, but also with those things. That seems Mm -hmm. right. I mean, does that make sense? That moment when you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, fuck. My My brain. brain. My mind. beautiful brain. Or rather, you're like, shit, what have I become? Society has done this to me. Why can't I just be regular and normal? I've become a monster. I've been cursed with being very clever and smart. Yes, and now I'm expected to do things. <laughs> How could this happen to me? It happened to us both, like in very different ways. I like that we get callbacks. Because this is this is officially the last chapter in the first quote unquote book of Dune the novel because I'm like looking at the last um the last page of this chapter and then there's a blank page and then it says book two Mwadib. This is the end of book one. So we get a call back to um uh the hand of the box. They uh the Gomdrabar. In the Missionaria Protectiva. Um I like how at the very end of the view, Paul is fully reading Jessica's mind. Yeah. <laughs> like she's thinking things Which and he's like, saying a reply yeah. out loud. She's really scared by it. Yes, because he's like a horrible, hor- like it, this thing is partially her she's fault. Suddenly Sherlock Holmes and it's really scary and also he's being mean to her. Yeah, I'm like, I didn't raise you to speak to your mother like that. <laughs> He he starts talking in italics. He's had a waking dream. The geriatric yes. spice. I see it. <laughs> um, but where's the bit where she's thinking and he's talking out loud to her? That's horrible. In um, sci-fi and fantasy, there's a lot of like preternaturally gifted, horrible children. I remember there's like definitely one in Aragon. Yeah. He does a blessing on a child, but it, it, he fucks up talking elvish and the curse becomes wrong oh shit oh fuck and she stays a child forever but has horrible mature like true sight or whatever wow someone fucking read dune says bitchy things yeah i mean Aragon was written by a 16 year old and it's just like a regurgitation of all of the fantasy novels yeah he like extremely read dune mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wow it's like if you smash dune and lord of the rings together you get Aragon. yeah 
You get Aragorn. The extent to which that is true is legitimately hilarious. I don't... I, I remember being Aragorn. I remember being Aragorn. <laughs> I remember one, once upon a time I was Aragorn. I remember Aragorn being just, like, so painfully, like, straight. Yeah. And a man. I don't know. Who's just, like, blonde and shitty. And eventually, like, midway through the second book, he becomes sort of like an elf. So, yeah. So what we do I forgot how we do this um we tend to go through the chapter saying things that we like okay I stopped on this bit here where Jessica whispers only to serve we exist only to serve and I just feel like Paul realizes this by the end of the chapter but I feel so bad for her because he's blaming her for all of this shit that's like going on in his head but it's all stuff that she was kind of like indoctrinated to do and like had to do to survive um and then by the end he realizes that it's like none of it's her None of it's really anybody's fault. It's all systems. It's all tradition. It's all like forces that are bigger and beyond individual people, which actually is really interesting because it's like Paul get woke suddenly. I like how the editorial that accompanies only to serve, we exist only to serve, is that Jessica is clinging to the Bene Gesserit motto because it's all all she has. Really? Yeah, because her, her husband is dead. Her son has turned on her for now. Her son's a, a freak of nature. And she's like, you know, she's clinging to something that she knows because if she doesn't cling to that, then it's just her fault, which is no good. No. Immediately after that, Paul says, We'll find a home among the Fremen where your missionaria protectiva has bought us a bolt hole. And she's like, How the fuck does he know about the missionaria protectiva? He's not supposed to know. <laughs> no one's supposed to know. Except the BGs. Yeah. So that is actually yeah, it's like how how does how does he know this? Can he literally read minds? Or can he just read a gesture to the point that he knows everything? Is it I mean what what I'm trying to what I'm trying to ask is can he actually see inside other people's consciousnesses? Or is it just the illusion of being able to read minds that he can do? I think it's the illusion of being able to do it because a lot of the stuff that he seems to be able to read currently is like stuff that he's looked into the future, seen and then extrapolated back to the present ah. that's not what extrapolated means but i think that's what is going on yeah interpolate if it's in the future yes. he's interpolated it's interpolated there we go words we did it words we did it yay do we talk about the spice addiction stuff because... uh not really not in detail what do you have to say about the spice addiction stuff? only that did we know that the spice was that addictive we sort of did don't we or do we yeah i think i know it in my mind that if you if you're addicted to the spice and you don't have the spice then you'll die but i I think I think this is the chapter where it hits that they are literally trapped on this planet and that they will be addicted to spice and if they don't have it they're like fucked. Is that the one that gives you the red lip spice? Oh, no. Spice gives you oh, the no, eyes. Oh no, it's the juice Yeah. Safu. Safu. Well, I say that, mm. but in the movie it's Safu. So most of my notes on this chapter that I've written is like either bitch exclamation mark or just notes about how Paul is super broken. So there's a bit um on the second page of the chapter where Paul thinks, I loved my father. I should mourn him. I should feel something. But he felt nothing except, here's an important fact. It was one with all the other facts. Um, all the while, his mind is adding sense impressions, extrapolating, computing. And isn't that miserable? Yeah. Being removed so much from your humanity must be really... And realising that that's happened in a, a terrible moment it must be so heartbreaking yeah he's he's beeps and boops now i mean also because he's kind of he's still acknowledging his um like human feelings alongside mm. the kind of logic machine that he's becoming 
But um, but then he's also saying, "Why can't I mourn? Why can't I grieve? Why can't I feel anything?" Yes, exactly. Because like the 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 feelings are almost like subordinate to, to big becoming yeah. subordinate to the the logic. He manages to sort of almost trick himself into crying at the end of the book. He's like, "Okay, I've done all my thinking. Now I can do it." Because yeah. I've got everything else out of the way, which is oh, oh. so they they look at their packs that they were given to survive in the desert, and they read out a little manual um, that like is for the desert. So green and orange letters leapt up at him from the pages: Lutogen, still tent, energy caps, recap, sand snork, binoculars, still suit rep kit, baradai pistol, sink chart, salt plugs. These words are getting so much stupider. The power compass, maker hooks, thumpers. Yeah, like they they start off okay and they just get sort of worse and worse. Oh, also it's very interesting how in this chapter he's like an absolute brain genius in every way and he knows everything and what everyone's thinking and the purpose of everything. And then when he gets to the sea itch, he's like, they're like, oh, those are water catchers. And he was like, what are water catchers for? And they're like, you are a bitch for the tradies. You're an idiot bitch. Again, another callback to more innocent times. Gurney Halleck's um, words about mood being something that you have to ignore um, when you when it's time to fight, even if the mood is grief. Yeah. Is grief a mood? And I mean, I guess that's Paul working out why he doesn't feel any grief, because he's like, okay, perhaps that's it. I'll mourn my father later when it's time. So he's using things that people he trusts have told him to be like, okay, this is why my brain's not doing what I need it to and my my body's not doing what I need it to. But he felt no let up in the cold precision of his being. He sensed that this new awareness was only a beginning, that it was growing. You can tell he's really scared of the way that his mind is working. It's like he's sort of undergoing metamorphosis. And then when um, Paul says, I'm something else, I'm a freak, leave me alone. And Jessica can hear how distressed he is and she wants to reach out to him but there's something that tells her that she can't do it and i mean firstly that is really miserable like it's really sad not to be able to comfort someone that you love um and for paul's part i think the um the the sort of insights that he's experiencing are coming like so thick and fast um like it sort of reminds me of you know in the matrix when keanu reeves is just like blocking the punches and they're like so he like does it with one hand i'm like doing a really good um physical impression of it which does, will not yeah, you transpose to um audio but like he like becomes bored with it and he's talking mm. to jessica and she's like why why has ua saved us and he's like i already know why ua saved us all all of his like forward planning stuff um oh we've got to find the atomics and she's like why and he's like well we just have to because you know that's my version of six-dimensional chess you know, like I'm um, 17 steps of, uh, uh, you know, in front of all the other people. And like, sort of, he's, it's a really useful sort of exposition device, actually, because he already knows everything. So Jessica can be where we are, and like, sort of working it out. And he can be like, well, actually, blah, 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 which is quite interesting. So, I mean, um, there is like lots of politicking that we're not actually really talking about in terms of plot yeah. stuff. Yeah, I'm not super interested in it. And it doesn't really matter that much. Like, no, it doesn't really it's matter. Not- what's interesting about this book at all Mm. like the emotional stuff is what's interesting and I think that this chapter does well to focus on that emotional content. Is there something to be said about um, Buddhism and how like the operation of falls coming to higher consciousness is a bit like enlightenment? I don't think it is I mean but I think given Frank's grounding in like esoterics like 1960s type of wow Oh, the states of consciousness, man. Like, the whole 
point of enlightenment is that it's not that nothing matters to you anymore, but all is one, all is equal. And, you know, you stop functioning as an individual, a person who's caught up in the workings of an individual mind. Yeah, I guess that does kind of happen, but it also, Paul's awareness is also very self-centered. Yeah, it centered on on his play on on his his role to play. But I mean, in terms of like kind of situating the rest of like the nineteen sixties altered states of consciousness, Eastern religions thing, like it's worth making the comparison. No, mm-hmm. yeah. even if the comparison turns out to be not correct, that makes sense. So, so that's I like how they call like the bundle of um stuff to survive in the desert, Fremkit. It's cute, isn't it? I keep thinking about how how empty and sad Paul is, but we actually have talked about it a lot already. Yes, because it so just sad keeps striking me again and again. I mean, he doesn't. He does make. He does make um, Jessica cry on purpose because he has d- doesn't think they're going to have time for it later, which is ice cold. Does he? Where does he do that? So it's like not far. It's like the next page from the friend. He gives her a message that um, oh, Leto yeah. gave to oh, him. Yeah. He wants you to know he never suspected you um, of killing him. I presume. And then he wanted to know he always trusted you completely. Always loved you and cherished you. He said he would sooner have mistrusted himself, and he had but one regret that he never made you his duchess. And then Jessica. I think he lies. I don't think Leto ever said that to him. Leto does say. I think he does say something about. Leto says. So Leto says that he he wants Paul to tell Jessica that he never suspected her. But I think Paul embellishes this. Well, I it, I think it's unclear. I think it's 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 not very good writing. Uh, I think you would be more than correct to uh, work that out, but it has, it's not text. Yeah, because it's not specific. It's not explicit, really. Paul saw the avenues ahead of them on this hostile planet. Without even the safety valve of dreaming, he focused his prescient awareness, seeing it as a computation of most probable futures, but with something more, an edge of mystery. As though his mind dipped into some timeless stratum and sampled the winds of the future, which is good. There's some nice writing here. Yeah, I mean, it's like he he ascends to new levels of consciousness. Yeah, yeah, very, a notch in awareness, which is like a very Buddhisty thing, and that there yeah. are there are stages before enlightenment. I mean, it is all very um. It is there's something like filmic about it, actually, of like receiving. It is a bit like the Matrix. Yeah. Sometimes I do think of it as this kind of like the Matrix. I bet there is yeah. some some confluence between this and the Matrix. That's interesting. I mean, I think I think uh, what's his name's writing falters here because it like goes from the very very specific feelings of climbing the levels of awareness to like mm. the most basic description of like a full consciousness you could possibly have. Like he saw people, he knew names and places, experienced. Emotions without number reviewed data. That is very vague. It is. It's vague. But also, I imagine it's very hard to describe that kind of. No, no. But also, it's it's not even creative. He saw new planets, new cultures, people. Line break. People. Line break. (laughs) (laughs) But occasionally, he does describe it very well. Like he's kind of seesawing from something great, something terrible. Yeah. I, I like this bit. The emptiness was unbearable. Knowing how the clockwork had been set in motion made no difference. He could look into his own past and see the start of it, the training, the sharpening of talents, the refined pressures of so of so sophisticated sophisticated 
There's a, there's a line break between so sophisticated in my book. That's interesting because my sophisticated is also broken, but it's sophista line break. Catered. I hate that. Even exposure to the OC Bible at a critical moment, and lastly, the heavy intake of spice, and he could look ahead, the most terrifying direction, to see where it all pointed. I agree that ahead is the most terrifying direction. Yeah. His mother was beside him, holding his hand, her face a grey blob, peering at him. Why is it so good and so bad? Hello, grandfather. Hello, grandfather. <laughs> and he thought, yes, mother mine, among the Fremen, you'll acquire the blue eyes and the callus beside your lovely Callous nose. beside your lovely nose. From the filter tube to your still suit. Know, and you'll gross. bear my sister, St. Aleho of the Knife. Yeah, but she said she said the thing earlier in the book about how the um, Arafra mother has to be like a beautiful seductress and also a wise crone, which actually... I think that quote is given a lot of new meaning um, regarding the how we know Alia is later on, by which I mean an all-knowing child with the, the demeanour of an adult. Oh, so Aragon Guy definitely did steal that. Directly. Oh yeah, he definitely read Dune. I wasn't sure if he knew what Alia was like, but I was like, well, oh, I've that's seen, Alia. I've huh? seen the movie Dune where there's a blue-eyed, scary child who's a nun, who's like, he is yeah. the Kwisatz Haderach. Alia's really cool in this book. She's also like three years old. Aww. And then he thinks about the um, the jihad. Does he call it the jihad? He does. Yeah. Uh, and the race, yeah. <laughs> he talks about race consciousness. And I was like, yikes. Mm. By which I think he means the human race, but also it sounds super dodgy. I mean, there's also a, a, a thing. We revisit the idea of people being humans. Versus animals. Or rather. Yeah. Yikes, yuck. But Jessica says, don't call him a human. I was like, what? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, they're, they're using humans versus animals as speaking to speak of people who are like worthy of being treated in a certain way versus people who aren't and it's people who can right? think and Eventually. can't think and then i guess frank by making the harkonnens like their close relations frank does kind of like debunk that division kind of i guess i love how you're you're so confident about the meaning of this really really esoteric way of using like a, a deliberately defamiliarized way of using humans as a concept it's really really like i i have no capacity to know what is meant by this at all Absolutely. i still don't i know we had a, a, dis a discussion quote-unquote discussion about this in our first episode and i still am not really in agreement with you there you go um why not it's what it's about i just i can't believe that he's i don't know i don't know okay. i just don't want to believe that um frank is invoking ideas like race consciousness in vain that's all okay so let me read this bit he remained silent, thinking like the seed he was, thinking yes. with the race consciousness he had first experienced as terrible perp. He found that he no longer could hate the Ben Jesuit or the Emperor or even the Harkonnens. They were all caught up in their need in the need of their race to renew its scattered inheritance, to cross and mingle and infuse their bloodlines in a great new pooling of genes. And the race only knew one sure way for this, the ancient way, the tried and certain way that rolled over everything in its path, jihad. So, two things about this. The first thing, I guess, Frank is like, or Paul here is realising that because I'm a human being and the things that human beings want to do continue to exist, like, it it seems as though to him this self-perpetuating, like, system of, like, war is inevitable. And second thing is, I think actually Frank is using jihad in a really disrespectful way because I went to look up if he was using it right and I 
it feels sort of like Islamophobic to restrict the definition of jihad to just that. But I'm not like, I'm not Muslim and it's not my language. And so I'm not an authority on this. But when I did a little bit of research, I was like, oh, mm, I don't know if we should think of jihad as just this specific thing. Yeah, I do think it's like um, super disrespectful, not only to yeah. invoke a concept of jihad in this way, but also to use the like racially dog whistly language of yeah. infusing one's bloodlines and race consciousness. It sounds on the verge of white supremacist, and it's yeah. not very good. Yeah, it's not very good. Firstly, to imply that it's a fundamental human trait, it's like, and then secondly, so I was like, I was watching a video essay about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and like what its ideology is and they talked about about how the Marvel Cinematic Universe sort of presents war as like constant and inevitable and like continually escalating and about how that like doesn't necessarily mirror reality but also because it's a very popular piece of media has the power to pervade reality um so firstly that's very scary and secondly i think that is sort of what is presented here i don't want to believe that's true i don't think i do believe that's true i don't know if it's true of the world that frank presents in dune but it it definitely happened paul tries to resist this thing and he states right here that you can't choose it but then it happens anyway and then it continues to happen and then it happens worse and worse on a larger and larger scale so i don't really know what frank's trying to use that to say but it's, it's there i mean yeah that's a very interesting point it happens even though paul doesn't want it for all of his life and he can't opt out of it and he can't like unchoose it it just happens whether he wants it to or not i think another thing that like is very very greek tragedy like about this is that everything is predetermined determined by fate and things are passed down through bloodlines so the idea of of heredity is absolutely inseparable from futurity like everything that happens is happening because somewhere back in your ancestral past this was decided for your family your clan your race quote-unquote race your species um your community your civilization Uh, i mean and one of the things one of the points of like public tragedy when it was performed in Athens was about sealing particular myths about how things to be so like this is why we have democracy this is why we have capital punishment this is why we have the family unit whatever 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 and there's something of that in this a little bit about you know why do we have emperors why do we have power structures why do we have space capitalism yeah. why do we have etc um, i mean and i think there is something interesting about you know this kind of predetermined yeah because someone decided it once and now we can't escape it like with the with the atreides specifically the whole point is that atreus does something which causes him to be cursed and then mm. that just kind of runs through the generations of his family until yeah. someone gets a uh, ritually sacrificed which ends yeah someone does something so i guess it's continuing to happen that the um the curse gets lifted and that's canon in june which is great because guess who shows up in uh children of june i don't know man who agamemnon yeah agamemnon Agamemnon shows up i'm like oh there he is there he is agamemnon well is that are we have we reached the um ceiling of our ability to talk about this yes it's definitely been an hour and a half i i have all of the week yeah okay okay they call me dr worm good morning
cool. So my one really has a small amount of backstory. I was given up on asking you because I assume you need some time to like Google Worm. Um, Sound of me googling okay. um, somebody recommended us to somebody else on Twitter and I just like by chance I happened to look at their Twitter profile because I was curious and they have a podcast about Yu-Gi-Oh so okay. we started talking because they just seemed like an interesting person uh-huh. and I started listening to her podcast about Yu-Gi-Oh mm-hmm. we got talking about June and Yu-Gi-Oh I started reading some of Yu-Gi-Oh and it's pretty good I like it it has a few similarities to June by which I mean 15 year old boy who was too short for his age. Oh, Ray, Ray, wait, is Paul yeah. Atreides a short king? Yeah. Paul Atreides is a short king. We stand. We stand, okay. But basically what I'm trying to get to is that, um, so Sarah sent me the full databases of worm-themed Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Oh, wow. And they are all really fucking something. They're really something. I sent them to you in case you want to use one of them for your, uh, worm of the week in case you haven't got anything else. Is this a tag yourself but I want situation? To show you. The one that I'm picking is called Worm Apocalypse and I'm sending that one to you now. So you can see what it looks like. Okay, X-Men Women Pop. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, no. Would you like to describe Worm Apocalypse for me? Well, it's it's horrifying. <laughs> um, it got a rounded, there's a long rounded head with distended long eyeballs. But it also, unlike most worms, has appendages. It sure does. It's not one long tube stock f- filled up with your meat. Dance. Dance. But it is dancing. It is waving too. Horrible, 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 horrible pink worm flagellums. Flagella? It seems to have a skeleton, but just in its legs. Just in its legs, it has a skeleton with human feet. And it's wearing some some kind of like top on. Shoulder plates. With like, like a metal t-shirt. Yeah. And some little pants. Yeah. And it's very, very bad. It's very bad. It's very funny And it's got well. like it's it's got like its whole worm apocalypse squaddy behind it. Yeah, so it's it's great. I love worm apocalypse. Yeah. So worm apocalypse has uh an attack of three hundred and a defense of two hundred, which means it is a weak card. What? It's a weak Even card. Even though it has the most powerful name in the universe. I know. Like the, the card before it has an attack of six hundred and a defense of um, fourteen hundred. It's pretty weak. So my favorite worm themed card is the card worm worm apocalypse, and it's very good. By which I mean disgusting. Okay. Um, and also Yu-Gi-Oh! It's pretty fun. Consume media about what's your worm of the week? Well, can I just choose a favorite worm card? Like yeah, I've got I've got a runner up and a favorite. Um, okay. my runner up yes. is of course. I also quite like Worm Dimicly, which is like a purple monster that has is lots of worms. It's a lot more powerful oh, Jesus. than Worm Apocalypse, but I think it's very cute. I quite like um. Worm Drake. That's a real worm in your reflection. Without a follow, without a mention. (laughs) Drake is a worm. Drake is a worm. Like that man. He's a predator. Once this monster wraps itself around a victim, there is no escape. I like Hack Worm. That's a journalist who's not very good at it. (laughs) Where's Hack Worm? Like three down. I like Warm Worm. It's just on fire. (laughs) It's like Warm being an understatement. I like the one that gives me the most June energy is, of course, Aztecapede. The worm warrior. But also I really like worm bait. Which is not a worm in itself. Oh, on the second page there's one called Worm Hope, which is like a beautiful, shiny, gold, silver person. Doesn't like a worm at all. But it does oh, give me wow. hope. Worm Hope is so shiny and beautiful. Yeah. Why is it called that? Don't know. Worm King. Sure. Worm King is also not a worm. Worm Melodith, which appears to be a spider. Powerful, but it's not a worm. Worm Milladith appears to be a, a, a spider. Well, oh no, favorite one. My favorite one. My favorite one is Worm Opera. I was just looking at Worm Opera. I love Worm, worm opera, opera. Is me. <laughs> Can you describe Worm Opera? No, I can't. 
It's impossible. It's beyond words. Beyond language. It's beyond. It is beyond language. <laughs> but the illustration on this card is so mighty, powerful. Beneath that is worm prints. I just a good want name. Not a worm. Extra worm time and you're worms. <laughs> Go to worm solid. Mm, okay, that's not a worm. It's a triangle. <laughs> it's a triangle with eyes and a mouth. Worm token is just worm bait. Worm tentacles is fully an octopus. It's not a worm. Worm ugly is like a brain ball. Oh, it is very ugly. It's very ugly. I don't know. It's just, it's very drippy. Got a horrible worm sideways mouth. Worm victory isn't a worm. Worm warlord is not a worm. No. Worm vexed, I don't like it, so I'm just going to scroll past and not look at it. Don't look at it. Worm yagan is also scary. Yes. Worm Zero. Ooh, not a worm, but very powerful. It's a picture of a moon. So that's our explanation of the worm Yu-Gi-Oh cards. So there you have it. Thank you, person who has a Yu-Gi-Oh podcast. Want to plug a podcast quickly? Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, she's cool. Listen to her podcast. Don't listen to this one. (laughs) Yeah, don't listen to this one. Fools. Oh, guess what? We have email. Oh, Jesus, no. (laughs) We have email. We have email. We have one. email. have email do i want to know what is in it yeah it's from dylan um, hi dylan hi dylan it's the title is just something i found interesting uh dylan says big fan of the podcast despite my deep love of june we're sorry <laughs> i do like june i just also like criticizing it and then dylan also says i thought it might be interesting for you to hear that frank herbert seems to be a big fan of people who look like frog in his series of short stories and novels about his consistency setting protagonist of most stories George X. McKee is described as squat and ugly and looking very much like a weird frog when he smiles. This is just like old, weird sci-fi trivia, but when I heard about the frog-looking guard in the most recent episode, I had to let you know that this isn't the first frogman Frank Herbert wrote about. So, that's cool. This is massive news. <laughs> this is enormous news. This is big news for us. This is going to this is going to colour the rest of our reading of June. You can't see Josie in this school, but she looks like she's taking this very seriously. I'm taking it extraordinarily seriously. This is actually groundbreaking. What do we do with this information? Groundbreaking. I don't know what we do with this I information. I think it's making me like Frank more. Yeah, because frogs are amazing. Frogs are really good. This is definitely news that interests me. Mm. So Dylan was right on that. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you, Dylan, despite your love for Dune. <laughs> Some of it's good. Dune is good. We always admit that it's great, and then we say all the terrible stuff about it. And that's what I do when I like something, is that I criticise it a lot. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's, it's good. I do like Dune. Me too. It's just bad also. It's just bad also. Isn't it amazing that something can be good and bad? Oh, wow. Um, I also put a cloud of questions on Twitter. But you always do it like 15 minutes after we started recording. Yeah. So. Anyway, Dr. Tim says, what's your favourite word that rhymes with June? Boon. Boon. Spoon. 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 Does anything actually rhyme with June in R? With the, like, with the liquid with U. With the liquid U. Spoon. Spoon. Hewn. Hewn? The hewn. Yeah, yeah. hewn is real. Hewn. Yeah, that's a real It's word. the only one that rhymes. <laughs> Baboon, the great ape, baboon. Actually, I had a, I had a small argument with somebody today because I was talking about Dune. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, another one. Tune. Tune. Ah, the lovely tune. Tune. I had a, a funny interaction with somebody where I was talking about Dune. And they said, oh, do you mean June? And I said, no, Dune. And they said, why are you saying it like that? Oh, God. <laughs> Dune. Dune versus June. I mean, it doesn't really matter. No, it does doesn't. It? No, but this person is extremely pedantic, and I want to always fight them. But yeah, no. So, I mean, am I am I legit to say Dune? I think so. Dune. I don't think it matters. I can't bring myself to say June. June. And also, Sarah asked us some questions. Ah. Um, <coughs> she says, if Paul were a Pokemon trainer, what kind of Pokemon would he train? And I said we didn't know what Pokemon were. And she said, don't worry about it. Make up your own Pokemon types. They're all redundant anyway. So we have no excuse. Is there is there like is there like psychic type Pokemon? There is a psychic type po- Pokemon. Mm. So maybe like psychic and then like ground because sand? Like- yeah. I don't know what that says about him though. Paul is the leader of the psychic gym and then when you go inside... um. I actually don't know enough about anything to make a proper joke. No, nope, but I, I tried know. my best. Are there a, is there a type um, of Pokemon that's only reserved for royalty? <laughs> no, the noble Pokemon. Um, what about the dog that's also a sword? The only Pokemon that I care about is Wooloo. Wooloo. My Wooloo. What about the three new boys? The one that looks like a oh, the monkey, monkey and the sad lizard. And the sad lizard and the bunny who no one cares I like, about. I like the monkey. I like the sad lizard. I do also like the sad lizard. Yeah, I'm into the sad lizard. Yeah, in for Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield, there's a sword, there's a dog who's a sword, and there's a dog who's a shield. Sarah also has another question, which is: Was Doctor Worm's PhD awarded by the University of University, and what was it in? He's not a real doctor, but he's a real worm. He's an actual worm. You know, we only give out real degrees. If he reached out to us, we'd maybe consider giving him an honorary degree, but we, yes, haven't, given, we haven't heard from him. So. Given what he's done to raise the profile of worms in the academic community. I've realised that I haven't actually like specified what any of the degrees that I've made are for. They're just being on the podcast. <laughs> They're just first. Podcast guesting. They're just first. <laughs> They're just first class degrees, but they're not in anything. Um, are you the spice or the worm? I don't know, man. What are you? Um, which one is more scared between the spice and the worm? You can't do it predicated. You can't predicate your spice or worm this on. Okay, I think I'm the worm because I think between the spice and the worm, the worm would be the first one to die in the Mad Max future. <laughs> That's how I'm defining it today. And I'm the spice because of question mark question mark question mark. Don't know. Don't have the energy to make up the reason why I'm the spice. <laughs> Cool, end of podcast. Goodbye forever, until next week. So hopefully we have a happier and more fun chapter to discuss. Skanking on a dark spot, I'm drunk off that Hennessy. I ain't sober, I don't mix with Coca Cola or soda. But right now I'm on a roller, I take a look over my shoulder and I see this sexy thing. I think it's time to work my way over. So I shuffle on my heels and I bounce on my toes. I'm crazy and she knows, still it's all good, I suppose. So she didn't complain, she backed it up. So I got behind her and I lapped it up. Then we danced all night till the sun came up. Then I took it to my yard and I wrapped it up. A member of the Juju Nation down in New Orleans. You don't need an application if you move your feet. Explode, hit your pocket, exposed on the floor.